Good morning, church. How y'all doing this morning? Good. Happy Mother's Day. It's a little tall. It feels like I'm hiding behind it. So, um, It's been a while since I've been in front of people, so uh, you are not quite as scary today as what I thought you were going to be, so that's good. And um, for those of you who don't know me, like Pastor Paul said, I was here on, on staff here at Bridge, and uh, my wife Christy, my son Zeb, and I, we miss you. We miss you guys. And what I mean by that is we miss you guys as people, but we miss the community, that, that we felt here or feel here. And so I want to encourage you, if you're new here this morning or you're just checking out Bridge, be involved in the community of your faith family because it's unlike any, anything else. And uh, do life with people. Um, we do miss that. We're trying to plug into churches, but, you know, it just, it just feels weird. When you're used to something that's like your family for seven years and then you're trying to find something else, it doesn't feel the same. So yeah, um, it's been a crazy three months since we were here last. A lot has happened. Like pa- Pastor Paul said, Zeb turned two. Um, I got more gray hair in my beard and we can catch up after service if you would like. So uh, that would be great. And uh, you know, however, in the midst of life, we know that God has great plans, that he knows what's best and his timing is perfect. And that phrase, you'll see how it fits in here in just a little bit this morning. So um, I get the privilege of continuing in our series that you guys, we started back in October, right? October. And um, now we're, here we are in May, and we're walking through uh, the Bible here and Bible engagement. We're in volume six, session three this morning, if you've been, been following along in your community groups and, and everywhere else. So this week is the story of Esther. And so um, we're going to dive into scripture this morning. Um, this, this week, as we continue Bible engagement, uh, the volume that we're in, volume six, is all about focusing on God's perfect timing. And so I've been, I've been following along with you guys, like through the app and, and that sort of idea. I, I like that. I like the devotionals, those sorts of things. So I've been able, been following along with you guys. So we're talking about God's perfect timing. And the past two weeks, uh, we've, we've looked at the story of Jonah and Daniel. And uh, this week, we're going to look at God's perfect timing through the story of Esther. Um, the faith verse that's out on the wall there in the, in the lobby is, For we live by believing and not by seeing. For we live by believing and not by seeing. And in each one of these stories, we see people who, had to, who at some point had to shift their focus from what they see in reality in front of them to have faith in God's plan and God's great plan and God's perfect timing. And um, Hebrews, Hebrews clarifies what, what faith is, that it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we live by faith, not by sight, as some versions would say. We live by believing and not by seeing. Not, faith is trusting in God in all circumstances. Regardless of what we're walking through, what reality in front of us may look like, that God has a plan, His timing is perfect, and like our kids are learning today in, in kids' ministry, that he knows what's best. He knows what's best. And that's, the, that's kind of the, the theme uh, of, of this week, of this session. So um, the title of my message this morning is simply this, Your Opportunity. Your Opportunity. How many of you guys know we all have great opportunities in front of us? We all have different opportunities around us. And so this morning, if you would join me, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to, to the book of Esther. Um, It's in the Old Testament there, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and then we go into Job. So Esther had a great opportunity in front of her. And this morning, we're going to look at the main story of of Esther. 
Um, it covers about five chapters, so like I've said in the past, make sure you put your seatbelts on. And happy Mother's Day, lunches might be on fire. So, no, I'm just kidding. It won't, it won't be the case. Um, this morning I'm going to give you an overview of the story of Esther, because I feel like you need to know the story of Esther in order to, for us to really focus in on, on, the main, on the main thrust this morning. And we're going to look at how her story applies to us. And so we're going to kind of go fast through, through kind of each chapter, not reading each verse, but kind of hitting the highlights and, and summarizing it. And so you can follow along in your Bibles. The verses will be on the screen. And it is of some interest this morning that, that God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther. God's never mentioned in the whole book of Esther. The story of Esther takes place after, after Nebuchadnezzar had taken the Jews into captivity in the story of Daniel. And it takes place after the captivity period. And um, the Jews were free to return uh, back to the promised land to, to rebuild. And, and many of those rebuilding efforts were led and, and, and transition efforts back to the promised land were led by Ezra and Nehemiah that we read in the two books preceding Esther. And so there were some Jews, there's a actually good group of Jews, that decided not to return to the promised land. Uh, the reason is unknown, um, possibly because they became comfortable in Persia where they were. And um, so this, that was modern day, modern day Iran. So Esther was one of those who chose not to return to the promised land when God had opened the door for the Jews to return. And so the book begins here in chapter 1 with King Ahasuerus, nicknamed Exorcist. So depending on what version you're reading this morning, depends on which king you're going to see. So I'm going to refer to him as the king this morning, so we don't have to keep going back and forth about who's he talking about. Um, he was throwing a big party. So we're going to pick up, we're going to start the story in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, and it says, For a full 180 days, he, the king, displayed the, va- the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. So he threw a six-month party. And then after six months, he threw another party. And it says in verse 5, it says, When these days were over, the king gave a banquet, lasting seven days, in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. Verse 8 describes the party. It says, By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. For the king instructed all the wine sewers to serve each man whatever he wished. Crazy party. This is the part of the party if you're a WVU student where the couch gets drugged to the street and sat on fire. Anyhow, moving on. Verse 10 goes on to say, it says, On the seventh day, when, when, the king, when king exercise was, high, was in high spirits from the wine. Another version says, On the seventh day, when the king was feeling good from the wine. That's what it says. And so let's just, let's just summarize this for a minute. Let's call it what it is. On the final night of his party, uh, the king had gotten wasted. And he sent his servants to get the queen, Queen Vashti, to come to the room and, with her crown on his head. So he wanted, to, he wanted to show off his queen, his wife, his girl. So, well, Queen Vashti refused. And rightfully so, right? right? It's Mother's Day. Like, like I don't want to just be shown off. Like, I'm not just something to be shown off to your buddies when you're drunk, right? Well, the king wasn't happy that she deliberately disobeyed his command. So he goes to his expert wise men who were close to him. He went to his buddies and was like, what do we do? Well, one wise guy says this in verse 17. He says, for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands. Moving on to verse 18. This very day, the Persian 
and median women of nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. He basically says, King, our wives are going to start standing up against us. And they aren't going to stand up, and they're going to continue to stand up against us, their husbands, and you as the king and your leadership. And we can't have that kind of disrespect happening in our households or in your kingdom. So Vashti, the queen, gets kicked to the curb. But now the king needs a new queen, right? Like every king needs a queen. So, chapter 2. King, the king comes up with this great plan, him and his buddies, to hold this contest similar to the show The Bachelor, right? In order to find a new queen. Now, full disclosure, I've never seen an episode of The Bachelor, so I had to do a little bit of research to actually see if this actually lined up. It was a good illustration, so here we go. So, <laughs> Esther, chapter 2, verse 2, says this. It says, Then the king's personal attendants proposed... Let a search be made for, a beautiful, for beautiful young virgins for the king. Not usually how you usually describe the women on The Bachelor from what I read, but anyhow, verse 4 says this. It says, Then, verse 4, Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashti. So the contest kind of worked like this. You enter the king's harem, and the king would go on a date with, go on a date with you and ask some questions. You would chill for the evening, and then he'd pick the winner. So Esther entered the contest. See, Esther eventually is going to turn into a great woman of faith, but at this point, she's not really. So she's straight up sleeping with the king out of wedlock to try to win a contest. Esther is a Jew. This is a slap in the face to her her faith. And I know it's Mother's Day in the place, so I have a question for all you moms. Would you be excited if you got a call from your daughter saying she was going to enter said contest? No. I hope your answer is no. If, if you're questioning that, maybe you should have a con- we should have a conversation. So anyhow, verse 20 says that she kept the fact that she was Jewish silent. Good news is Esther wins the contest. Bad news is she chose a, a very unique path to get to where she was. Kind of messy, right? At the end of chapter 2, Mordecai enters the story. He's Esther's cousin. He's the man who raised her after her parents had passed away. He's an unsung hero. He found out about a plot to kill the king, and he stops the plot and saves the king's life. But the king never found out about it. Moving on to chapter 3. This is where the story starts getting really interesting. It's really good. A man named Haman enters the story. He's the villain. Every good story has a villain, right? Like every good story has a villain. So chapter 3, verse 1, here it is. After these events, King Exorcist, or Ashura, whatever version you're reading, reading, honored Haman, son of, you can pronounce that name, good luck, uh, the Agite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. So this guy Haman was made the prime minister of the country. He was made, he was elevated, he was brought up, brought up to be a, a, a leader there, right below the king. And it says that all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's commands? Why are you disobeying the king's commands? 
See, I believe that Mordecai is challenging which king is really in control here. But we'll get to that in a moment. The fact that Mordecai won't bow down makes Haman really mad. Makes Haman, he just gets furious about this. And when he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, he comes up with this this grand plan to kill all of the Jews. So Haman presents the plan to the king, and the king doesn't even bat an eye at it. I don't know if the king was planning his next party or what the deal was, but he tells Haman, and do with all the people as you please, in Esther chapter 3, verse 11. You can see, the story's getting good, right? Chapter 4. Mordecai hears about this plot and gets a message via the text messaging service of the day. Maybe it was a direct message on Facebook or Instagram, whatever it was, to Esther. And he tells Esther, he says, you've got to do something about this. And Esther replies with a message back to him that looks something probably like this. I'm laughing. There's no way that's going to happen. I'll be dead. So, verse 11 is going to be on the screen. I'm going to kind of give you maybe like my, my version of it in verse 11. Esther replies back and she says, I appreciate your concern, Mordecai, but don't you remember how the king responds to women who disagree with him? Vashi was banished for refusing to be shown off at the party. Imagine what he would do with me if I, a woman, confronted him and suggest that he was making a bad government decision. He'd have me killed. Persian law even says if anybody comes before the king uninvited, they can be killed. And for this, a little Jewish girl, for me to appear before him and tell him he doesn't know how to run his government, that would be a death wish. So Mordecai responds to her in verses 13 to 16, and this is our main verses this morning. He says this. He sent back this answer. He says, Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. He tells her, you aren't really safe where you are. Verse 14, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. As we have seen, Esther didn't start out well in her walk of faith. But this next moment is her defining moment. This next moment is her moment that really is her opportunity, her, her statement. And she says this, Then Esther sends a Mordecai, sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish... I perish. And Esther comes to this place and says, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Let's move to chapter 5. It says, in, in, chapter 5 kind of goes like this. Esther enters the palace, and the king, who is taken back, still taken back by her beauty, raises his scepter. And, and Esther goes, ah, sigh of release. Because if the king raises his scepter, it means that you're not going to die. It means that you're allowed to enter. So the king, king says, my queen, what would you like? And Esther invites the king to a banquet and says, bring your, bring your best man, Haman. So we all know that the king is a sucker for a banquet, right? So the king agrees to attend this first banquet. And she doesn't mention anything about Haman's plans to, to wipe out the Jews. But 
she invites the king to a second banquet. Now, we all know that the king really likes, likes a long party. And so, Haman, he's on, he's on board with partying because he's with the king and queen. Like, look at me. I get to be with them. I'm getting shown off with them. Like, people are going to think I have power. And, um, and, and he feels like they're the power team of the kingdom. However, as Haman is going home from the party, he passes through the city gate. And when he does... Mordecai does that thing where he refuses to bow down. Well, that kind of kills the vibe that Haman was feeling after the party, thinking that he was, you know, this powerful guy. And, uh, and so he decided to get rid of Mordecai. He decides that he's going to get rid of Mordecai as soon as possible. So Haman goes home, and he orders the palace builders to construct gallows 75 feet high to hang Mordecai on. And he plans to ask the king for permission to carry out the sentence the next morning. Well, that night, while the gallows were being built, it just so happens that the king couldn't sleep. And he orders a specific book to be read to him, and the guy picks the book, his servant picks the book, and he opens up and picks, randomly picks the story of when Mordecai had saved the king's life. See, this is getting good, right? The king says, this is a great story. What did we ever do for Mordecai? And the servant says, nothing. Why? The king gets up to start his day, and just as he gets to his office, guess who walks into the room? Haman, to ask permission to kill Mordecai. But before Haman could get his question out to the king, the king asked Haman, what should be done for a man the king delights to honor in Esther 6.6? And of course Haman thinks, well, he's talking about me, obviously. Like, he wants to honor me. I've been partying with the king and queen. Like, and so Haman's answer was you know, something that he would really like. So he said, hey, you know what you should do? You should put, a, put the king's robe on the man. You should give the man one of the king's horses. And you should pick your best prince to lead him through the streets, shouting, this is what is done for a man the king honors. The king goes, great idea. The man I want to honor is named Mordecai. And the guy who should do the shouting, that's you, Haman. <laughs> well, Haman is about... See, the Bible is good. It's full of, full of good stories like this, right? Funny. Well, Haman is now about to lose his mind. So he kicks his plan to, plan to kill the Jews in the overdrive. The next night, at banquet number two, the king, queen, and Haman are all there. And Esther tells the king about Haman's plot to kill the Jews and reveals that she, too, is a Jew and is in danger. The king asked, who would want to do this? And so Esther outs Haman. Well, the king gets super mad and storms out of the room. Haman runs over to the queen, runs over to queen Esther, grabs her, and begs for his life. And apparently during that whole thing, he fell on top of her, just as the king was walking back into the room. Well, the king says, what? So now you're going to molest my wife in front of me? What's going on here? So he orders Haman to be hung immediately on the gallows that Haman had constructed for Mordecai. And so it is because of Esther's defining moment of faith. Though Esther had a really tough, rough start to life, God saved the Jews, which included her own family tree that led to the birth of the Messiah, the Son of God. And years later, here we are today. And you say, Pastor Rob, so what? So what about the story? What does this great, funny, well-written story have to do with me? It's your time. It's my time. It's your opportunity. 
We all have a calling. If you're a believer here today, God has called you to make the most of your opportunity, opportunities to share the gospel. If you're a believer here today, God has called you to make disciples. If you're on a journey to faith here today and you say, hey, I'm not a believer, believer in the room today, God is calling you to himself. His will is for everyone to have life, eternal, everlasting life, that none should perish. Just as God used Esther to save his people in 480 B.C., he wants to use you today in 2023 A.D. to continue the mission for such a time as this. See, I believe that God knew that on Mother's Day 2023 that you and I would be sitting here in Bridge Community Church, and he knows that, and, and his timing is perfect, and his plan is the best. And so this morning, the challenge is this, is that it's your turn. As the title of my message is, it's your opportunity. It's your moment for such a time as this. Ephesians 5.16 tells us to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I can look around the world. I watch the news for five minutes. I hop onto, you know, whatever news source you want to look at. There are some evil things that are happening in our world. Are we making the most of every opportunity that we are given in our sphere of influence, for those around us, the people that we interact with. So this morning, quickly, I want to give you three truths that will help you make the most of your opportunity. And we're going to pull these from the story of Esther. So number one this morning is, God can use Mordecai's and God can use Esther's. Mordecai's, they're the church people. They're the good people, sincere people of faith. People who, who attend church, right? They, they grew up in church. They're, like the, they're the people who felt, feel like me most of my life that say, you know, I have a boring testimony, right? Like, I, I came to church my whole life, gave my life to Jesus. Like, I feel, felt like, you have a, feel like they have a boring testimony. You know, the worst thing they've ever done in life is they broke the speed limit or they forgot to recycle, right? And um, I identify with that because most of my life, that's the way I felt. And then there's the Esthers, right? The Esthers in the story. And these are the people whose lives are filled with compromises and mistakes. You know, they're the people who say, I don't need to be convinced that I have sinned or maybe have sinned in my life. You know, I know it, right? But they think their past has disqualified them from being able to be used by God. I mean, we can see in this story that God has a plan for both. I mean, Esther is not the most holy or, or famous character in all of the scriptures, right? Like, she's not mentioned in the New Testament to, of being a, a person of faith, right? Like, a person who, who let faith lead their lives. I mean, she got to her position by winning a sex competition. And yet, Esther is the person that God uses to preserve the messianic line. Why? I believe that it has to be because God wants to show that he wants to bring salvation to the world through unlikely weak instruments. Esther is a young foreign orphan with a checkered past, yet God brings salvation through her rather than Mordecai, the strong, the morally upright, the man of faith. My point is this. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter what your ability is. It matters what your availability is. God has a place for each one of us. God has placed many of you in a specific place with a specific opportunity for his kingdom. Many of you are in the palace, so to speak, with access to resources and great influence in the, in the, for, in the people around you and in their lives. 
you have a great opportunity. And maybe you look back on your life and you have lots of regrets as to maybe how you got to that position or maybe to the things that have happened in your life that maybe has marred your past. But God wants to start a new thing in you. And he's given you a new opportunity each day whenever you enter into that relationship with him. Don't allow your past to be what holds you back from doing what he's called you to do. From holding you back from, from being able to speak the truth that God is calling you to speak into those who are around you. The people that are your opportunity. God wants to take our regrets, take our past, and turn them into what is the foundation to help us be able to reach those who are in our path. God wants to start a new thing. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ today, it's never too late to take that step towards a, take that step in your faith journey. We need to ask for forgiveness for our mistakes we've made in our past. And maybe we need to try to make men's as we, as we can. But salvation is about new beginnings. And that can be for you today. Number two this morning. I'm going quick because I know you guys want to go home for lunch. So number two. God has been at work in your life even if you haven't recognized it. Again, the name of God is not used in this book at all. Not one time. But the working of God is all over this book. His fingerprint is throughout this story. I mean, think about all the coincidences that led to Esther being in this position. Here's just a few. Queen Vashti just so happened to upset her husband, and he just so happens to cast her out, and then they just so happen to come up with a contest that Esther hears about and enters. Esther just so happens to be a beautiful Jewish woman who just so happens to find favor in, with the king above all the other women. And Esther just so happens to be Mordecai's cousin, who just so happens to hear about a plot to kill the king. And it just so happens that Mordecai's act is recorded in, the, in, in this book, but it just so happens that Mordecai wasn't honored. Haman just so happens to have it out for the Jews. And it just so happens that the night before Mordecai is hung, Mordecai is to be hung, that the king can't sleep. And it just so happens that the king's bedtime, the king's bedtime story was from the book. And the story that was read was the story of Mordecai. Out of all the other books the king could have chosen to be read to him, he chose that specific book. And of all the other stories that are inside that book, the servant chose to read the story of Mordecai. I mean, that alone. And when the king decides to honor Mordecai, it just so happens that the first person to walk into the, the king's office was Haman. And it just so happens that at the banquet where Esther reveals Haman's evil plan, that the king walked back in at the moment Haman just so happens to fall on top of Esther. And it just so happens that when the king orders Haman to be hung, that they use the gallows that Haman had built for Mordecai. Think about, those are, those are the ones that I pulled out just reading through it. You can't write a better story than this. You can't write a better storyline that shows God's handiwork, hand at work behind the scenes. His handiwork moving in, in, in and out of each one of these people's lives. Friends, I've got bad news for you. Maybe it's good news for most of you. The system's rigged. I mean, look at the story. Look at your story. Look at where you're at and what has happened in your life. Your opportunities. The opportunities of people who are around you. My point, in, for this, my point is this. He's written the story of your life for the purpose of his redemptive plan. 
for you to know him and make him known. Just like all the coincidences that preserve the messianic line that brought about salvation to you, to you and to me, so the coincidences of your life have been rigged so that you can bring salvation to others. You have a great opportunity. You have a God-appointed opportunity to share Christ with the people around you, to serve and bless others in the name of Jesus, to impact a generation of students for lifelong transformation by the gospel, to financially invest in the kingdom to enable the gospel to be spread in Lansdale, in southeastern PA, in Pennsylvania, and around the world. You have been chosen and blessed for something bigger. And if you don't grasp the bigger picture, you don't step back and look at at the whole picture, you will lose your purpose. You have a great opportunity. Make the most of it. Truth number three this morning is this. Life is a risk. Risk it on something that lasts. I don't want to bet my life on my plans. I don't want to bet my life on Pastor Paul's plans. I don't want to bet my life on anybody else's plans but God's plans. See, we have even a greater assurance of how the story is going to turn out. Greater assurance than even Esther did. We get the privilege of reading this story through the lens of our Savior, right? Through the lens of Jesus coming and dying on a cross for us. Esther saved her people by risking her spot in the palace. This was before Jesus, who was years later, would leave the ultimate palace, not because someone asked him to, because, but because he knew the mission. He knew the opportunity that laid before him. And he not only risked his life, but he offered it up to purchase our salvation. In the cross, we see that God was always fully in control, that he's overturning the plans of the world's Hamans for good. The same God that promises that one day people from every tribe tongue, tribe and tongue will worship him. And he says, ask me, ask me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Ask me and I will give you your family. Ask me and I'll give you your coworkers. I'll give you your neighbors. We get to see our opportunities with this truth that, that he will finish what he started. We get to walk in a greater confidence than Esther even did. Because we know how the story ends. We get the secret recipe, if you would, to make the most of all of our opportunities. And it's this truth. I've read the Bible through to the end. And in the end, God wins. In the end, God wins. The only question is this. is whether you and I will be a part of it or not. Will we make the most of every opportunity like Esther? Yes, there's risks involved for the gospel. There's risk involved in the kingdom of God, but it's a risk that we absolutely must take. Esther risked her position in the palace to make the most of every opportunity. Esther risked her life to make the most of her opportunity. What do you need to risk? What is around you that you might be, maybe feel the Holy Spirit prompting you? It's like, this is something I need to risk. This is a risk I need to take. I'm going to ask the worship team to come this morning. See, church, God knows what's best. We see that illustrated throughout this story. His timing is perfect. I mean, hello, did you journey with us this morning? Or did you read this? Did you hear this story this morning? God's great plans are about, making, about knowing God and living a life that makes him known. That's the story of Esther. See, this morning, it doesn't matter where you are today. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. 
looks like. It doesn't matter what you're walking through right now. The same God that was moving in the story of Esther is the same God that is here today and is moving in your life in the situations, in the position that you are in today. He's positioned each one of us for such a time of this as this, to make the most of every opportunity. See, Esther stood at a crossroad of literal life or death for the people of Israel, a life or death moment for the people of Israel. We also, every day, stand at a literal crossroads of life and death for others, spiritually speaking. Every day, we have the opportunity to be Esther, to bring salvation to those around us. Each person that we encounter has a name. Each person that we encounter has a face. Each person that we encounter has a story. Each person that we encounter knows what it's like to feel lonely. Each person that we encounter knows what it's like to feel afraid or feel hopeless, to feel sad. And how often do we just sit by? Whenever we have the, we have the, we, we, we know the story. We have, we have the secret. We have the, we have an opportunity. We care about humanitarian initiatives, global suffering, food shortages, poverty, slavery. We care about those issues locally and around the world. Yet the greatest suffering is eternal suffering. The greatest hunger is for the bread of life. The greatest slavery is slavery to sin. What are you doing about it? What are you going to do with your opportunity? Of all the things that give your life to, The gospel is the most important. Esther couldn't ignore her life and death realities, and neither can we. She said, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to make the most of my opportunity. How are you going to make the most of your opportunity? My second second challenge this morning is this. Will you give your life completely to God without restriction? to be used for his purposes in your home, in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, everywhere that your foot touches, you have an opportunity to make an impact for the kingdom. The worship team is going to sing this song, and I'm going to ask that you would reflect on these two questions that are on the screen. See, will you make room for your life to be used by God without restrictions? As the worship team sings this, would you? You can come up to the altar if you want to kneel at your seat, if you want to stand, however you want to, to spend time in reflection, thinking about that. I would ask you to even, in, even come up with a plan of like, what are the things that maybe God is asking you to risk? What are the, what are the things that God is asking you to, to, to use in order to take, make the most of your opportunity? with us.